this is okay. this is part of the outtake stuff that gets put in these things. <laughs> All right. So All right. so you would say something like, "Hi, this is Ken Tucker from changecapeweb.com and you are listening to Jeff Smith on Verm Verm Veer. Listen up." Something like that. Okay. Okay, so that'll be like the first part of the show, but I'll okay. use yours on somebody else's show. Okay. Right. So, so you don't get confused, <laughs> All right. All right. but anything in the middle where you and I are talking, um, you have editorial content control. You get the final cut and say, so if you say something and then later on upon reflection, you think, mm, I don't want that out there. Just tell me and I cut it out. Okay. So, Do you go by Jeff or Jeffrey? Jeff. Okay. So, okay. So it sounds like you're getting ready to do your promo. Good. <laughs> Just wanted to double check. So yeah, no, yeah. that's perfect. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely Jeff. Cause it's, okay. I don't like making people use more than more syllables than required. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, right. why don't we go ahead and do that and then we'll start the show. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Oh, wait, you know what? Uh, yeah. Go ahead and do it. I don't need to start a new file. Go ahead. and. Okay. Hi, this is Ken Tucker with Changecape Web. You're listening to Jeff Smith on the Vroom Vroom Veer podcast. Well done. That was good. Thank you. Yes. Thanks. We can use that. All right. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to hit stop, start a new file, okay. and I'll come right back. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a little rainy in Vancouver, Canada, but it's usually raining here, so <laughs> you kind of just take the sunny days when you can. Amen. Uh, I'll, I'll beam you some sunshine from sunny Las Vegas. How's that sound? That would be great. I've never been to Las Vegas, but I hear it has a really nice food scene, so it's on my, uh, it's on my list to go to... Um, yeah. Maybe when we don't have the current geopolitical problems happening around the world. Oh, are you afraid to go to Vegas now? <laughs> well, you just you just never know these days, you know. Oh, no, in the U.S. Yeah. and the U.K. and other countries, and everyone's fighting, and you know, safe Canada. We're not perfect, but you know, it's a safe place to stay right now. Ah, uh, that's awesome. Good for you. You're right. You're right. The world is is seemingly uh, exceedingly scary right now. Right. So talk a little bit about uh, your business, uh, take some risk.com and, uh, and what you're most excited about what you've got going on today. Certainly. So, I mean, in a nutshell, we're a marketing agency. We help a lot of clients with data and analytics and figuring out, you know, of all the different pieces of traffic that are coming to the website, what's converging, what makes sense. We really try to focus on, you know, the, the customers and the users and creating the best experience possible because I'm sure we've all been to websites where you go to a website and two seconds later there's three pop-ups and it's asking if you want to sign up for their newsletter or their ebook right. or you just go to a website that doesn't work with your browser and so we're always trying to help clients create better experiences as much as we can yeah. um, and if we can do that then we make the internet a slightly better place than it was yesterday. 
Um, yeah. What kind of jazz about right now is like, you know, we have a couple of e-commerce clients, we have a couple of clients in B2B. And so it's fun just working across different verticals and industries and helping different clients who either A, maybe they don't have a marketing team internally and we become their marketing team with me oh, and my wow. designer. Yeah. Or sometimes they have a marketing team and they want like a lot of training and education just to help their team look, level up and become a little bit stronger, a little bit faster and more more effective. And being more effective is a lot more important than being more efficient because if you're inefficient or efficient on the wrong thing, then it's not going to move your business forward. But if you're so effective true. and moving towards a goal of more customers and more revenue, well, then that's that's just the secret sauce right there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Man, we could talk forever about the difference between strategy and tactics, right? I mean, if you've got a crappy strategy, it doesn't matter how, how well you execute. <laughs> right? <laughs> Can you hear me okay? Yeah, totally. That's, uh, yeah. So, okay. But this is Vroom Vroom Veer. Thanks for that. I appreciate learning a little bit more about what you got going on in your business. But being that this is Vroom Vroom Veer, we have to talk about like the Pulp Fiction version of the story of your life. And you've had a really interesting life. So I know this is going to be a lot of fun, right? It will. Yeah. I've had a, you know, I've had my own special version of life and everyone's got a unique version of life. Mine's uh, it's just different than other people's. Sure. But some people do find it interesting. Well, I, I certainly do because uh, we both we both like to travel. I, I think you like to travel more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Most people say that. Yeah, I've been to forty countries on six continents, so I've wow. seen a lot of cities, a lot of transportation, a lot of people mm. from the uber wealthy to the those who make you know not tons of money uh, right. every month, but are actually probably some of the nicest and, and most happiest people you will ever meet. So true. Yes. I can, I can concur with your assessment there, Dr. Connor. Um, let's see. So my wife is sort of like the, the driving force of our travel adventures. And usually I'm the reluctant traveler until I get there on the road and then I'm having a blast. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, I mean, yeah. flying's not great, Jeff. Let's be honest. The flying experience is pretty atrocious in general. Oh, yeah. There's, you know, there's a handful of really good airlines out there, but the rest, oh, it's just like hurtling cattle into like a barn. I it's can not tell great. You, though. Okay, so my wife is from Japan, and I don't want to get all in, all up into my story, but I want to share this as a pro tip. And I think I've talked about this before. So, podcaster people. If you're listening and you've heard this before, I apologize. But Dwayne hasn't. So <laughs> so uh, for years, I've been traveling to Japan usually at least once a year to visit my wife's family and friends and stuff in Japan. And I'll go for about 10 days or so, and she'll stay for like about two weeks. But I always really, like you said, dreaded that that I don't even know how long the travel day is. It just seems like it lasts for three days. Um and I, I one, one year, I want to say it was maybe two, three trips ago, um, I realized that I had this sort of like really, really whiny self-dialogue going on inside my head <laughs> about how shitty I felt <laughs> about the whole experience, right? And, and I don't know why, but I realized that, you know, nobody could hear my thoughts and <laughs> they weren't responding to my, my 
I'm tired. Why aren't you, you know, groveling at my feet trying to help me feel better? <laughs> that's that's kind of the 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 mind state I was in during those really long flights and, you know. So, one one year I just decided to keep telling myself that I was okay the whole time, right? So like all the way on the on the trip, you know, I would just say, okay, you know, yeah, this is cool. You know, how often do I get to hang out and watch movies and do absolutely nothing for 14 hours or whatever it is? It's, it's fun. It's, it, this is a good time. Um, you know, and obviously my body's, you know, laughing at me, right, with this stupid talk in my head. But it, it literally actually works. I could, I could see that. I mean, yeah, that is a long flight at 14 hours. I mean, I've done, in the last few years, I've done a few trips to Australia to speak at conferences and stuff, and that's about... It's about 20, 21 hours, depending on where you're going in Australia. Yeah. Um, and so I, I found the key with a lot of those overnight flights is to time it so that when you get there, you watch about two, maybe three movies, and then your body's so tired, you just fall asleep for about eight to 12 hours. Right. And the time you wake up, right? it's breakfast, you eat breakfast, and then you get off the plane, and it's not so bad. Yeah. What's well, really bad when you fly is when you've got to like make two or three stopovers, yeah. that's when it makes it feel like it's you know a couple of days for me, and that's when I get a little frustrated. So I always try to play for... A direct flight if I can, if I stop over, make sure you stop over in a city that has a fun airport and hopefully it's not going to be at nighttime. So you can like maybe leave the airport for a few hours and go to the city if it's close by. Yeah. So another thing that I learned, I can't remember who suggested this. I think it might have been uh, uh, Nassim Talib, that guy, Nicholas Nassim Talib, in one of his books. He said, uh, as soon as you get off a plane... Uh, do a workout and it doesn't have to be anything extraordinary, you know, because you're already walking a lot, right. In an airport, but try to do some push-ups or some yoga, you know, for like 10 mm. minutes, right. I, next time you travel, swear to God, this is amazing. <laughs> it is so counterintuitive how much better you feel if you do like, I'll do like literally maybe like 30 push-ups. And maybe a little down dog and some yoga stretching kind of stuff as much as I can while we're screwing around in the airport in between, you know, getting ready to get on the train in Japan. Uh, ugh, it just, oh, my goodness. It's like night and day how much better I felt. I can see that because, yeah, when you do the workout, it's like your endorphins get going. And so that's like a happy place. Right. Um, and so I don't. I definitely don't do a workout, but I usually try to drop my stuff at a hotel and just go for a nice long walk and get some yes. fresh air when I hit the city. And that, that yeah. definitely helps sort of get me, and, and get me in the right frame of mind. And I usually yeah. sleep pretty well on airplanes because I can pretty much sleep plane, train, car, bathtub. It doesn't matter. I can sleep anywhere. Nice. Um, That's so a I've, super I've been lucky that I can fly lots of places. I don't get too tired. Right, right, right. So, so where was the – you've been to 40 different countries. So – if you had to pick a favorite, what's your favorite country? You know, I get asked that a lot. I don't have one favorite country, but okay. like four or five that I really love. Sure. Um, so if you look at Asia, I'm a big fan of Hong Kong and a big fan of Laos. Okay. Laos is still like very old school classic, heavy French influence. It's a fun little city, just fun little country to stop off in if you're in like Vietnam or Cambodia or Thailand or something like that. Uh -huh. Um and then I used to live in England for a couple of years, so I really love London as a city because um, I love just to like hang out and just see my friends in London. And all the art galleries are free over there, so I just go look at art all day. Oh, that's um, cool. And then, you know, I really like New Zealand. I went to New Zealand for the first time last year. 
um, wow. after speaking at a conference in Australia. And it, I always say it's like a mini Canada. Everyone's super nice. It's easy <laughs> to get around. It's great weather. It's amazing weather, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and so if I had to go back to places, those are probably like the four or five countries I'd go back to. Okay. Because um, they're just, they're good people and they're nice people and they're easy to get around and it's just a chill environment. So of those places, I've been to London. I was actually, I actually lived in England for about three years while I was in the Air Force. So England's great. I mean, we did a lot of traveling around England and the UK. So we went to Wales and Scotland. It's awesome. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it is amazing. You, you, yeah, I do. I miss the like weekends away and the short travel. And it's so compared to Canada, like it's very expensive to travel from Canada. A lot of places. It's not like down in the U.S. with you guys. Right. Um, so living in the U.K. I was like every other weekend, probably more like every five weekends, I would go away somewhere. And friends are like, you go away a lot, but I'm like, I only have a two year visa. Your government has not agreed to be on two years, so I've got to like see as much as I can. Yeah. Um, and I went to like 13 countries when I was living over there and just, it was nice. Like I, I miss it a lot. I miss it pretty much every day. The mini trips were amazing. Uh, we, we did a lot of those Ryan air trips where you get like, uh, uh, your plane tickets only one peak. And uh, yeah, I did a few Ryan airs. <laughs> uh, my favorite airline is actually Norwegian airlines. We did a lot oh, of wow. Norwegian airline. Um, I did some EasyJet as well. I did EasyJet. Um, I've got a bit more money now than I did back then, so I definitely will splurge and get a slightly nicer, slightly nicer seat up at the front of the plane if I can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did all the cheap airlines, and I booked when they had sales. And one month I went to like both Oslo uh, and Norway, and I went to like Stockholm, um, which was really cool. Yeah. And then another month I went to like Denmark with a friend for a birthday celebration together because our birthdays are like three weeks apart. Mm. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of cheap flights because I just had to see as much of the continent I could. And I also went to Morocco um, so Ooh. I can get Africa off my list of places I've been to continent-wise. Um, but I definitely had to go and see more of Africa in general and see like South Africa as well because I hear it's like a beautiful, beautiful country. Man, I should have done that. Man, I could have hit Morocco. I did go to, uh, where did we go? We went to Mallorca. Mallorca was oh. pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, a- after our first year uh, in in England, you know, when you live in England, you know this now, right? But before you get there, people will tell you, you say, oh, what's England like weather-wise? And they'll say, well, in the winter, it's cold and dark. And like that means something, right? <laughs> and then you get there and you realize what they mean. It's like they make the, the roads out in the country out of light, light absorbing material. It is like just so dark and damp and the sun never comes out. And you really do get that sort of like sad, right? <laughs> that yeah. special scientific kind of sad, the seasonal affective disorder because you're not yeah. seeing enough light. Right. So my wife and I made this deal that we would, uh, we would go someplace sunny uh, every winter as sort of like a, uh, a sad breakup kind of thing. So we went to uh, Mallorca one year, uh, and we landed in Palma, and Mallorca is awesome. Uh, it's, it was one, especially like if you learn a little bit about the history, they, it's such an, a cool little Hawaii kind of island that it got conquered a gajillion different times by a bunch of different <clears throat> powers. <laughs> Spain was just the last one, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then where else did we go? We went to uh, Costa del Sol in Spain the other year. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah. Europe's great. And it is. Yeah. All right. So, so, so you're still, are you still traveling at, at a, at a kind of like a breakneck rate? Or are you taking a break now? 
Uh, definitely not at that rate because it's, it's way more expensive to travel from Canada. Right. Um, and since I only started the company at the beginning of last year, in January last year, mm. um, I said I wouldn't travel that much because I wanted to sort of be in Vancouver in this time zone and get used to like just working remotely for different clients that I have. Um, but I did go to the UK to speak at a conference and I did go to the Australian conference to speak. So those are kind of my, my two sort of big trips slash vacations. Um, but this year, uh, the gloves have come off, Jeff. And so I've got, uh, Italy booked to wow. speak at a conference. Then I'm going to go to the UK to speak at the conference again. And then I'm going to go to Amsterdam to see my friends, come back to London for a couple of days to see some more friends. Uh, and then in May, I will probably be in Sydney in Australia at the end to potentially speak at a conference and I'm seeing if we can work something out yeah. where I get to talk about what I want to talk about. Um, and they get to have me come talk about what I want to talk about. Um, and then I'm going to keep on pitching stuff because I'd love to speak somewhere in Asia. It'd be very cool because I really loved three months in Asia on my own. I'd love yeah. to just go back and, you know, Hong Kong, Singapore, anywhere really in Asia. I'll just go back so I can like check out the continent and just experience more of the Asian culture. Cause I really, I really find it fascinating. I didn't realize all the like history of, you know, like Japan gave a lot of money and resources to lots of other countries in Southeast Asia. Just there's the wars you hear about as I think as Canadians and Americans and what happened in Asia, but there's the stuff you don't hear about that's super fascinating. And like the French invading lots of people and it just, yeah, I love the Asian culture in general and it would be great to go back and speak at a conference and just spend some time in, in one of the countries down there. I love it that you get to use your business to have fun. That's, that's cool. It's like, now I know why people that are running businesses are constantly speaking at conferences. <laughs> yeah, that's how I, that's how I justify my travel. It's pitch somewhere to speak and around the world and then, uh, take a couple of days extra and see a city or country I've not been to, um, like I'm in Italy, I'm going to speak at a conference and I'm going to go spend one day with my friend up like in the mountains and go hiking for like 12 hours and take the last or second last train back from that city back to Milan so I can fly home the next day. Yeah. Um, so it's how I get my vacation in. Because uh, as I'm sure you know, when you build a business, there's there's always lots of things to do. And so it can be hard when we're a small team to take um, as much time off as I would like sometimes. You have to kind of force yourself to take breaks. <laughs> And make it fun. <laughs> so we were going to uh, talk a little bit about some of these stories that you've uh, that you've shared with me. Now, I tried not to read them because I don't want to know the story be behind. So I just kind of know the highlights. But you've got one story where you learned how to believe in yourself. And it seems like it's mostly about travel. So talk a little bit about that story and what you learned and how you learned to believe in yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I've always had like tons of confidence. Like when I was a little kid, my mom put me into like swimming and karate and gymnastics and anything she could basically save up and afford to, um, you know. And so that I've always had sort of, I guess, a little bit of confidence. But it's it's different when you're trying to, you know, get outside of your comfort zone. I think as adults, we get very comfortable and very set in our ways with, you know, I get up, I go to work, I get a paycheck if you work for like a company of some sort. Right. You know, after a year or two, you get really comfortable with that paycheck and you, you probably get a raise every year or two if you're lucky. Um, and when someone tells you, you need to do like this other thing over here that you've never done before and you've only vaguely heard people do, but none of your friends currently do that thing, like i.e., move to a foreign country and try to find a job, it can be really scary because you've got to, you have to give up everything you know that's so comfortable and comfort and 
to go after this other thing that that could be really really defining for her life. And so oh, yeah. uh, I was dating this guy in 2011 and he got me out of nowhere uh, and I really liked him. Like he was, you know, looking back, I'd still say he was smart, maybe stupid for dumping me, but still smart. Um, <laughs> and I was slightly a little bit depressed about it. I tell the story because it's really important. Okay. Um, and then I woke up one day and realized I'm being stupid. Like I live in a really large city and he lives in like a small city two hours outside of Toronto because I'm from Toronto, Canada. That's where I was born. Um, and I realized, you know, my freelance business is going pretty well, but I'll probably run out of money by the end of the year if I don't get more clients. And so, you know, one of the things that I've, I've always wanted to do that I've never done, um, and I've always wanted to like put on a conference in Toronto and try to make like the industry a better place. So I did that, but I also have always wanted to go to Australia. And the reason I've always wanted to go to Australia is when I was a little kid, I saw a koala on TV and I thought they were just the cutest little things in the world. And they looked so fun and friendly. Yeah. Um, and so I researched, you know, visas and how to get them. And so I got myself a visa, um, which is actually really surprisingly easy. You just got to fill out some paperwork and give some money. That's like the easiest thing in the world. Really? Um, now, I picked a date. I left. I told my mom. It was like, I think like any parent, a little sad, a little bit happy for me. Sad because I'm going to be far away, but happy because... I'm going to take like a risk and try to make my life better and make my life better for like me and my mom and my family in general. Um, and so I went to Australia and I was like, well, if this doesn't work out and I can't find a job, I will just go backpack for three or four months with whatever, whatever cash I have. And then I will come home and sleep on my mom's couch and be poor while I find a new job in Toronto. Um, but I went to Australia and I landed in Sydney and it was, you know, it was an atrocious flight because going from going from Toronto, it, it turns into like a 23 hour flight wow. because you got to stop off in Vancouver on the way. Okay. Um, and so I got there and I got a job in about like three weeks. Uh, but my job was in Melbourne, which is a city I've never heard of at that point. Like a lot when people talk about Australia, they talk about Sydney and like the Opera House and Bondi Beach. No one really ever talks about Melbourne. Sure. Um, <laughs> but one of the big telecoms there offered me a job. And I'm like, well, it's only a three month gig. If I don't like it, I can always come back to Sydney. And so I went to Melbourne with like less than 12 hours notice. I booked a last minute flight. I got into the city at like 2 a.m., uh, slept for five hours, and went to my job the next day. Wow. And it was like a weekend. I was really proud of myself because I realized, you know, less than a month earlier, I just landed in a city where, a city in a country where I, I don't know anyone. I don't really know how to get around. I don't really know how, don't really speak um, the language. how they function as a city and as a country. <laughs> like Australia, much like America or England, we all speak English, but we all have our own right. vernacular that's a little bit different to our country and slang and stuff like that. And right. so I wasn't sure of like the culture in Australia. Um, but people were really friendly and nice. And they were like, oh, they like that we're from Canada because I have that Canadian accent. Um, and, and that whole experience sort of made me realize that like I could go somewhere and like get a job and I should believe myself more. And if I, you know, plan things out correctly, because one of the things I did before I left, I like I emailed a dozen recruiters in Australia and said I was coming to town and I'd like to get a job. And I set up interviews and I just did a lot of like pre-work before I left. I didn't just like buy a ticket and left and hope it all worked out. And so yeah. I realized if I like, I plan stuff out and I think about like the good things that can happen, the bad things that happen, try to mitigate my risk on the bad things. Um, I could pretty much do whatever I want because I'm taking a, I'm taking a calculated risk. I'm not just taking a risk where I just do things haphazardly and don't plan. Because when you don't plan, you plan to fail. They usually say, which is probably right. Mm. Um, so that that experience taught me to believe myself. When I came back to Canada, uh, I wasn't really happy. There wasn't the job market wasn't great in Toronto, um, and I also didn't want to go all the way to the suburbs to work. So I looked up online and I found out I could still get a visa for the UK. And so I figured, well, I kind of like to do this once in Australia, and I still want to travel. So. I did everything I did for Australia, but for the UK, and I landed, and I got a job 
took me a little bit longer because I left and got into the UK November 1st. So it took me about seven weeks to like find a job, accept it. And then it was like a week before Christmas. So I didn't start until like January 1st. But I met someone at an event I went to who was a Canadian who had a friend of a friend who worked at Visa. And so I just did some like bookkeeping stuff for the first six weeks. And it was like 17 pounds an hour, which was like really good money back then. Okay. Um, and that kept me like afloat until my like wheel job, quote unquote, started uh, just after the holidays. Um, oh, nice. And then from there, I just went from like job to job to freelance gig when I lived uh, when I lived in London. And as we talked about, I traveled as much as I could. Um, and ever since then, I've always just felt like when it comes to my work life, I should be happy and do things that I like and enjoy. And mm. not everything will always work out 100 percent. And that's OK. And as long as I can like adapt my plan to, to things that have happened that I couldn't plan or predict, I will I will be OK. No, that, and it also probably gave you this sort of like uh, experimental kind of mindset, right? Where it's yeah. like you don't have to. It's almost like you were you were living the vagabonding kind of lifestyle without even trying. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Well, no. I guess because I don't I don't know anyone who's done it. Like none of my friends have really done it. Right. Um, right. 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 No, I know. And like my mom, my mom's from my parents, and my my, my mom is from Jamaica, uh, and she moved to Canada when she was like twenty two. She lived, <laughs> lived in Toronto all her life beyond that, so she's like Canadian as they come. Yeah. And so I don't know anyone who's like done that in my family in the social circle. So it's just like honestly, in some ways, making things up as I went, and I'm like, what would a normal person do in this situation, and what makes sense? And so I just did those things and. Luckily, it luckily worked out. And I wrote a blog post for Medium, yeah, you know, like yeah, the other cool. day about the experiences. I always have friends and people like who follow me on Twitter. Like, how did you do it? And like, how are you like having clients in other parts of the world? And I kind of just wrote it to tell people like, if you want to do it, you should just go for it. Like, especially if you're under thirty, like you can go back home and sleep on your parents' couch if it really doesn't work out. Right. But like, if you're smart <laughs> and you're curious and you have a good personality, somebody somewhere in a foreign country will hire you to do a job. Wow. Um, it may not be your first job. Like, I did bookkeeping for my first six weeks in the UK, but you know what? It paid money. I met three really interesting people, um, including an investment banker and a guy who's, like, sold one of his ad agencies to WWP, which is one of the large ad agencies holding companies. And so, like, if you're open-minded about where you're going to go in the end results, you can have a really, really good experience. So as we're talking about, like, you know, doing things that scare you, right? <laughs> we're kind of totally. on that. We're, we're, we're kind of on that, on that thing, right? So is there a story where you had a good job and then you decided that you were going to quit that and do your own thing, kind of start your business? So talk, yes. yeah, talk, talk, tell us that story. That seems yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good story. So, I mean, after after I lived in the UK, and then I went traveling in Asia for three months on my own because the startup I worked at, I ran marketed. We got bought by our American competitor. My job got outsourced to New York. So, pretty much everyone who wasn't in customer success got fired. Okay. Um, and so success. I was like, well, I can't get my visa renewed because the visa I'm on doesn't get renewable. Um, I don't want to go back to Toronto right away because it's not really good to go back at October, November. If you don't find a job within, you know, the end of November, you're not going to have a job until the following year. So I decided I'm just going to go travel in Asia. So I went to travel in Asia for three month, months on my own. I went to like 12 countries and I crisscrossed the continent, which was really awesome. Um, and then I came back to Canada and I did some work for a friend's agency in Toronto. And then I got offered a job out here in Vancouver. So I did that. Um, and 
that. You know, it was a good job. It paid well. It paid really well for the, like, the Vancouver market in general. And uh, I was happy. But then as I started getting into my second year, I realized, like, all I'm going to do is just continue to, like, spend money and make them more money. But I'm not going to, like, potentially make any more money myself because I don't own the business and I don't have, like, an incentive or shares in the business to, like, make more money. So I... Woke up one day and realized that things are not going to change at the company. It is the way it is. And so uh, I quit my job. I had one freelance client I was working on at nighttime. I was like, if I can find one, I could probably find more. And so I spent some time thinking about what I'm going to call the company. And I wanted a name that was going to like uh, give clients an idea of what they're going to get into when they hire us. So it takes some risk to seem like a good name because I've met enough people. I worked with at my last tech company called Unbounce who don't know how to take risk and are really bad marketers to clients <laughs> who they want to hire you, but they just want to hire you to do what they tell you to do versus doing what you sometimes know is the right thing to do because not always clients know what to do. Mm, um, right. And so I quit my job. I started it. I told everyone in my network that I know both here and in Australia and in the UK that I am like available for work. And some weights started to come in and I started to pick up some work. Um, and then a friend who does like VC and some fintech out here knew one of his friends who has a fintech company was doing some stuff and needed help. And they hired me for a year's contract, which was really nice. And I could work from my own office, which was really good. Uh, and then from there in the last year, it's just kind of snowballed where we picked up lots of like contract work and we picked up lots of like one-off projects. Sometimes people are like, you know, we have this problem. We need to like audit an analytics account or we have this problem with this or a problem with like our AdWords, we don't know how to get enough customers. And so people have hired us and it's been, uh, it's been a stressful year if I was to be honest. And I've worked way more hours than I would have at my old job. But I'm also a lot more happier because I can make the decisions that I know are the right decisions to make and not make decisions based on optics, right? When you make a decision based on optics, you're just trying to appease people. But I want to make the right decisions that are get us in the direction we want to go and get us where we want to go in the long run. Um, and like last week was a bit of a crazy week for the company. We had like six leads come in. One of those is for a large company that literally powers the internet. Um, wow. and I won't tell you who, because we've not signed a contract and it may never get signed because sometimes deals don't get signed. Um, but I, if you told me a year ago that I'd get to work with a brand that I have loved for the last 12 years, uh, I would have called you a liar, Jeff, and slapped you and walked away. Um, so it has been like the best year of my life, even if it's been stressful and there have been some like moments of doubt sometimes. Sure. No, I can imagine. it. it uh, those, those times are, you know, you, you probably went through those things where you're just exhausted, overwhelmed, and you think, you know, like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was emotionally exhausted last summer. I'd said yes to too much work, but I said yes to everything because you don't know which person is going to actually go to contract and sign a contract. People say they are, but then priorities change or ideas change and stuff like that. So yeah, I was really emotionally exhausted last summer. So I've been trying to, trying to do a better job of taking care of myself in that respect. And so, like, when I go you know, and travel this year to go to Amsterdam and the UK and Italy and stuff like that. I've built in a day where I just take a day off during the week from there during the week and not do any work and just tell clients I'm not around. If something happens, unless it's like a real emergency, I'm not available. Right. Uh, and so I've been better at like uh, self-care as you will, if that, you will. Yeah, yeah. No, it, you have to do that, you know. So did you ever go through those like uh, those moments of self-doubt where you were just like, oh, my God, this was the worst idea ever. And I. I'm an idiot. 
kind of <laughs> bouts of... Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I wrote this... Actually, was this Medium post the other day, like, last week, and then I published it, I think it was yesterday, two days ago, about, like, the idea of getting addicted to momentum and, like, building momentum in a business yeah. um, and yeah. how, like, much like working out, building momentum, I think, is, is a bit of an endorphin driver because, like, you see... You see things happen in your business, whether it's like more traffic or you get more leads and then you're like, well, how do these leads find me or how did this traffic get to the website? And, yeah. you know, as much as we have Google Analytics set up and stuff, no track and package is 100%. And so right. Right. Um, when I look back in the last year, sometimes I would like, oh, am I doing the right thing for the company and am I headed in the right direction? Because you see other people at other companies, they're like, oh, we you know built a $4 million business in four years or we have 44 people and stuff like that. And I think one thing I've realized is like, one, I don't want to have a company of 44 people. Like when you add more people to a situation, you just make it more complex, more complicated. Right. Um, You're not ready. And so I've had to like not like not compare myself to other people and realize that other people are going to run their businesses in different ways and I should stay on the path that I want to stay on, which is like have a super small team, kind of like the Navy SEALs, you know, super small team. We're all specialists in what we do. God forbid somebody gets hurt and is out of commission, but the rest of the team can like pull that person's weight until that person gets back up and running. Mm. Um, And that there are smart clients out there, maybe not the majority, but there's smart clients out there who will pay for that experience and that knowledge because it's not about... But I try to tell clients, it's not about knowing what to do when things go right. You can hire any agency you want and they'll give you a junior person and they can like make your AdWords or Facebook or whatever it is work or your email marketing. Um, but have something go wrong and have that junior person figure out what's what went wrong is really hard because most junior people don't know what to do when things go wrong. And that's that's the hard part I think a lot of clients don't understand is like, sure, you've hired them when things go right, but do they know what to do when things go wrong? Mm. And having worked, as you know, like around the world and on just about any brand and category you can think of. I've seen a lot of mistakes happen and especially with like Google Analytics and stuff like that, I can predict when something's gonna go wrong or a decision isn't like the right decision from a technical standpoint. And so knowing what to do when things go wrong is a really valuable skill I want our clients to understand and so that they can make the right decisions and we don't have to like realize, oh, this decision we made six months ago was actually the wrong one and now we've got to like restart things from you scratch. Do damage control and start over. Yeah. Right. Wow. It's good stuff. Thanks for that. So there was another story, and the cue for that was about standing your ground when you were living in uh, in London. Yeah, I mean, London's like London was an interesting thing, um, similar to Australia. But I think because I lived, I only lived in Australia for seven months, and I lived in, in London for two years. It's like yeah, two years in London. The idea London. that you you like you made this decision, and you're sure it's the right decision it's easy to want to just go back to your normal life that you had before that very comforting life. And so you just got to like stand your ground and keep on ahead on the direction because things will often get worse before they get better. And you've got to be comfortable with that sort of ambiguity and that unknown. Um, cause there's lots of times I was in London and I was like, Oh my God, I should like, I should just move back to Toronto. This would be so much easier on my life. And I wouldn't have these like problems or issues. Cause London is like, I went to London, I went to London once before, maybe a year or two before I moved there uh, and I'll be honest, I hated London. I thought it was like large and messy and smelly, but I picked <laughs> it as my next city because it was a large city and that meant there'd be a lot of jobs and I could find a job. Okay. Um, and when I moved there, I think it was trying to like figure out like how does the tube work and how do you get around and like what's with all these different tube names and the British people and their slang sometimes just throws people off. Sure. Um, and so having to get 
I think, culturally more adapt to London and how they function and understand that British people never tell you what they really mean. They they read, they tell you things between the lines. And so right. <laughs> I've had to like stand my ground and say, yes, I'm going to stay here and make it work because the British people are not bad people. They just don't do things the way we would do them in Canada, and that's okay. I've just got to like learn how to how to yeah. function yeah. like a British person in a Canadian body um, <laughs> and still retain my Canadianism. Uh, and I'll find a job and make it uh, and make it work out. Wow. So you did stand your ground. <laughs> and I think, yeah, once you go through, I, I went through something similar when I lived in, in London because it's like, it's almost like sometimes you don't think you're speaking English. <laughs> I remember listening to the radio in the car and not knowing what, you know, half of what they were saying. And then at some point, my I had an aha, aha experience. I was like, oh, they're saying, they're talking about places, right? <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's a place. And I was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why I don't understand what the hell that w- word means, right? So anyway, yeah. That is, that is very wonderful. Like even, I remember I went to Liverpool for the day trip because they had like a, they had the, one of the tape is in Liverpool, so I took the day trip to Liverpool. And just the northern accent is really hard to understand, even in England, just yeah. like what they actually said and the pronunciation. And then, yeah, if you go to Wales or Scotland, they've mm-hmm. got their own little accent over there. That's a little bit hard to understand. Um, so even when you leave one, it, it can be a challenge sometimes. But I kind of enjoy that. Like I dated a lush guy for a while, for a few months when I lived in London. And it was kind of like nice to like learn about their culture and how they're like they're different than the British people. Oh, totally. And the and. My experience in Wales was like cool castle, lots of lots of nice trees, very green, um, and then way too many consonants in all the words. <laughs> What's going on with these words? <laughs> it was kind of like a, a, a European version of Hawaiian almost. It's like everything hmm. was just a lot longer, right? It was like, wow. I, you know, I didn't have time. I think I was only there for like a weekend, you know, but... That's what I remember from that weekend. <laughs> the, the, the Welsh language, I, I don't know what the name of the language is, but I mean, I was just like, wow, that's a whole nother. It's not like, I know they speak English now, but they also still speak that other language, right? So Yeah, like, you just call it Welsh, I think. I think it's just called okay. Welsh. See, there you go. Uh, but yeah, they definitely do speak Welsh uh, still. Yeah. Oh, uh, especially probably the older people. Right, right, right. Yeah. Amazing. Fun stuff. And uh, did you get a chance to go to uh, Inverness, like up in Scotland? Uh, yeah, I went to Scotland. Uh, I did Edinburgh and Glasgow on okay. uh, like a long weekend over four days. Right. Okay. Um, I spent about like a day and a half, I guess, two days yeah. in each. Was it was nice. It was nice just to train up and sort of see the countryside and do like, you know, the castle and stuff like that and walk yeah. around. It rained a lot, I remember, that weekend, so it wasn't like the most sunny weekend, but... That's one thing I think I learned living in London is if you took out London for the rest of like the UK, there'd be like 50 more days of sunshine every year because it rains so much up in Scotland. They get way more rain than I think anywhere else in the in the country. Yeah. Um, but it was nice to go and just walk around and explore and just get away from the city because as much as I love London and I'm a, I'm a city guy, it is nice to spend weekends away in smaller cities and just appreciate um, their way of life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And baked beans for breakfast. <laughs> uh, you know things like you know blood pudding and other products they have yeah. i've like i've tried them when i live there and i'm like this is not for me it's just not no, I, I couldn't do i've had a lot of unique things from breakfast traveling around the world but this just doesn't work for me 
I can tell a funny story because uh, my boss and I in the Air Force, we got addicted to these uh, bacon and cheese baguettes. Um, so it was basically just, you know, like bacon and cheese with mushrooms on a baguette. And then they, they melt, make it into a melty sandwich. And then chips, <laughs> chips and a beer, right? It's, I mean, I do love cheese. I, mean, uh, I do love bread, so it's not a, yeah, it's not yeah. a bad thing. No, they're amazing. But the funny part of the story was, you know, th- their kind of bacon is similar to Canadian bacon, wherein it, it's not just burnt fat like American <laughs> bacon. <laughs> it's actually, you know, there's some meat in there. It is, uh, yeah. Yeah, and my boss was constantly saying, I would like you to burn my bacon, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little and, weird. Yeah, yeah. But they never would. You know, they would they would burn it, but it would it was never burnt to his satisfaction. I thought I, I just thought it was his persistence was hilarious. <laughs> Well, he knows what he likes in terms of bacon, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's right. That's right. So, okay, so you, um, you've you got another story here, and you talked about valuing, valuing your time, which uh, I think we all can get better at, right? Um, talk a little bit about this trip to Poland. You know, Poland is like, it's like an interesting place. It's... You know, there's one thing I think I've noticed when I've like when I've like traveled in general is like everywhere, everywhere is the same, but also very different. But like it's the true. differences are very subtle, and whether it's you know how people use technology or how they sort of communicate with communicate with each, communicate with each other, right? Um, and that's kind of like whenever I travel more, I try to like understand. I think like the culture a lot more because the culture is very is very indicative of how a company is going to like function and how a country is going to function because you know you want to make sure you value your time right so i went to poland two years ago now which is kind of crazy to think about um usually when i travel anywhere my friends always make fun of me sometimes i like over research i'll like i'll find the best places to eat and best place to have like breakfast and like the best bakery because I tend to do a lot of like walking around when I'm traveling. Um, and the other thing I always look at is I always look at like the airport, like how do I get to the airport? How do I get from the airport? Like what are all my options? Like, you know, cab, bus, is there a train in that city? You know, is there like a, you know, private car of some sort? Like, you know, in Europe, as you know, EasyJet has like those easy vans now. So you can take their van from like the airport to the city center. And so Poland's kind of interesting because Poland has uh, has no train option really, uh, but it has two buses, and so there's like a an express bus and there's just a regular bus. Okay. Um, and so I researched and I found this express bus on this weird link on the airport website, and it was only a couple of dollars more than the regular bus, but it got you in the city twice as fast. And so wow. when I got off the plane, I looked at my notes because this was like months in advance. I looked this up and I'm like, oh yeah, there's an express bus here. I need to take that. And so all the people went to like the normal bus stop that you'd go to. Um, to catch the bus oh. downtown and that bus stops at like every stop along the way and picks up people because it's like a commuter bus. Um, and I walked, you know, a couple turnstiles over to the express bus with two or three other people. Um, we all got on, we paid the, you know, two, three dollars more. Um, and I got the city in half the time, which is really nice because I could check into my hotel on time and then go see the city. Um, and I think it's really important people, you know, A, do your research in advance if you're going to go to a city because not every city has great transportation going from, the airport to the city, like the Philippines, 
I went to Manila. It's probably the worst transit in Southeast Asia, and for a good reason. Okay. Um, and so when you do your research, you want to make sure that, like, yes, it may cost you a couple of dollars more to take, you know, the train or the bus or whatever it is. But if it gets you somewhere fast and you can spend more time in that city or more time in that country or more time with your friends, that seems like a better investment than trying to save a couple bucks oh, and spending yeah. twice as long on a bus that is going to be packed with people. There's going to be tons of luggage. Someone is probably going to smell because it's been a long flight. Mm. Um, and so it was just nice to find that, like, it was an empty bus and I could, like, take it with these three other people and we can get the city twice as fast and just enjoy our time more. Mm. Yeah. I learned a similar lesson hanging out with tourist spots in Japan with my (laughs) in-laws. Um, I remember we did this, actually we did it in, uh, in Scotland or maybe it was, it's either in Scotland or the Northern part of England, the Highlands. Um, where in both instances there was like um, there was an option that my wife had sort of like looked at, and it was like a one of those hop on hop off kind of tour tour bus things, mm, okay. right? And it was just more to you know kill three four hours and 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 get get a lot of sightseeing done in a short amount of time idea, right? Um, and in both where were we now? In in a part of Japan. Uh, and where I think it was down south, like in one of the southern islands, like Kyushu or Shikoku, I don't remember. But Beipu City, okay, it was like one of these big um, where there's like steam from the uh, the volcanic um, vents are are floating up. Uh, you can actually literally see steam coming out of the the vents in the city. So really cool city. Um, volcanically active all the time. <laughs> so kind of scary. Um, mm. But we didn't, we got there a little late because of strangeness and weirdness in the Japanese train system. Um, so we missed the bus and my wife on the fly hired a taxi guy to do it, do, do the same tour. Um, we just had to pay a lot more, <laughs> but it didn't matter. I mean, it was awesome, you know, and you know, and that, it uh, that was kind of like one of those things where it's like, well, we don't want to just quit. <laughs> We're already here, right? We have to we have to do something, and uh, and thankfully she's like this master improviser when we're on the road. She's like, you know what? I bet you we could just ask this taxi guy to take this take us to all these places, and it probably cost you know three x more than what the bus would have, but you know, not that much, you know. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I usually don't do those tour things when I travel, but I went with a friend to Chicago a few years ago and he really wanted to do like, the arch- the architecture boat tour and we took it and I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. But it was actually a really good time. Like I love Chicago as a city in general. Yeah. Um, but doing the boat tour because it was a super sunny day out and so we could see all the different like buildings and architecture and the history and it was a, a really, really, really good tour. So if you're ever in Chicago with or without your wife, Jeff, I would say take the one of the architecture boat tours is it is a nice way to spend a few hours Those on the water. Fun. Yeah. You know, have you ever been to Milwaukee? It's very close to Chicago. I had no idea, but Milwaukee is a really cool city. <laughs> There's a boat tour in Milwaukee that my wife and I did the last time we flew home to see my parents in Michigan. And it was really fascinating. You know, I learned more about Milwaukee and rivers and the wow it was just like amazing it milwaukee actually reminded me a lot of vancouver oh okay 
So, I mean, they have like, for you know how you can ride your bike forever in Stanley Park in Vancouver? Yes, you can. You can do that. You can. I think you might even be able to ride your bike further in Milwaukee. Oh, I don't know if that's possible. I know. <laughs> Only because Stanley Park is like the second or third largest park in North America, it next felt, to like Central Park in New York. It felt that way. <laughs> because, you know, Unless you just mean like the city as a whole, then that would probably be correct. It just, I, it's probably incorrect. So, uh, 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 um, but it's similar in size. I mean, it, there was far more park than we had time to ride in. How's that sound? That is that is a lot. Of, that is a lot of park. <laughs> That's a lot of park. Yeah, and just really beautiful uh, green spaces. So yeah, I really I really liked uh, like Milwaukee more than I thought I would. So as we wrap up, I think you've got one more story, and uh, and I can add in some of the the times that I got lucky. You know, um, but talk a little bit about how you think you're lucky. Yeah, I know a lot of people talk about like luck and. X person's lucky and X person's not lucky in life. I think is so. There's two things. There's there's the idea of you can either be really a really positive person in life, or you can be a really negative person. And there's sure. been studies that've been done on this, and the idea that if you ask a positive, happy person to look up something in a newspaper, they will find it a lot faster <clears throat> than a person who's you know very negative or not in a good mood. And so, right, the idea of being in a good mood and being very positive heightens your awareness. Um, and I think it's the same thing for like being lucky and that idea that preparation meets opportunities when luck happens. Like you prepared for something, this great opportunity comes up, you say yes to it, which people should do in general. More people should say yes to more things, um, whether they're qualified for it or not, and then figure out how to do it afterwards. And the more you say yes to things, the more opportunities that will come up and the more opportunities that come up, the more you can prepare for those things um, and just have a more enjoyable life. Like I have friends who will get an opportunity and, you know, they're qualified to do, you know, 70, 80% of it. And like, we'll say yes and figure out the other 10% and just be honest. And if they have to give you like the job or the opportunity, you'll figure the rest out. Like if we always wait till we're hundred percent qualified to do anything, we'll never do anything because we'll never hundred percent be qualified. Um, and so I think just more people should be like happy, uh, open-minded, say yes to more things and just try their hardest, um, when opportunities come up. Mm. You know, when I, <clears throat> when I think of, uh, uh my life, and there's these like key points of, in retrospect, I was really, really lucky. Um, and it, this didn't necessarily have anything to do with preparation necessarily. Maybe it did. <clears throat> and let me tell you, and then le- and then we'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, I grew up in Michigan in a very small town. So, uh, and that was you know about twelve thousand, maybe. <clears throat> 24,000 if you count the the sister city people. So, you know, there's stuff, but still very much rural kind of growing up, you know. And then as as I'm reaching graduating high school, I think, okay, I'm just going to go to the community college because I don't really know what I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And so I sign up. For two years of community college, well, I, I think I just signed up for a semester. I think that's how you do it. And I went in to tell the Air Force recruiter that I wasn't going to join the Air Force. And I decided to stay home and go to community college. And uh, he wasn't there that day, but his, uh, his supervisor was because he was sick. And his supervisor was really, really persuasive. <laughs> so... He persuaded me to join the Air Force because he said, 
adventure, fun, get out of hometown, go live, go travel. It'll be fun. You just have to get through basic and then, and then you basic after basic. And that's what, like six, eight weeks. No big deal. You survive that. And then you go, you go through one more school. We'll get you a good job. And then you're out there. You could go anywhere. Right? So the lucky part was after I finished my tech school, I got, I got assigned to Japan. So I went from, you know, small town in Michigan to living in Japan for two years. And wow. Yeah. And now in retrospect, right, I hear advice from guys like <coughs> Tim Ferriss and, um, and this guy that does this blog called Wait But Why. They both agreed that if they, if they could give advice to, like, somebody that just finished college, they'd say, travel. And if you, and, and if you have three months or six months, you know, probably the safest city on the planet to go and get, like, a mind-blowing, life-altering experience about humans and culture in a safe environment is go live in Tokyo. Mm. Right? Because it's like... Tokyo is a great city. I do I do like Tokyo when I spent four days there. I've been obviously a bit pricey. Yes. Uh, I had to get around, but I would, uh, I would say that this, that's a kind of a story of luck. Like an opportunity came up and yeah, I maybe didn't prepare for it, but like you wanted to do something else and it came up and you said yes and that's, I think that's an awesome thing and you got to have an awesome experience out of it. Yeah. Well, you know, and... Just I can't even imagine where I might be now if I had just decided to go. Well, no, I know exactly where I'd be. <laughs> I'd still be in Michigan in my small town. <laughs> That's probably where I would be. Right. I would have never left. That's and wow. Just think of all the different places that uh, I would have never met my wife. I would have, you know, wow, completely different life. Talk about a flip yeah. in the road, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Like those are kind of the best experiences, right? Like when things happen and at the time it doesn't seem like a huge deal, but then you look back at it and you realize it was like a very life, life affirming, life changing situation. Right. And that you're glad you said yes to. Yes. Yeah. You know, even if things kind of get scary and maybe you think at the time, you know, they go wrong. You know, nothing's been easy or and it's not always been sunshiny. But at the end of the day, you know, I think I'm a better person overall for it. Right. Because I did something scary, just like you said. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You yeah. feel me. Yeah, I do. Dwayne, this has been a blast. So uh, let's talk a little bit about how people listening can connect with you. Yeah, I mean, uh I'm I'm on Twitter at Dwayne Brown. So Dwayne is actually spelled D-U-A-N-E, and then Brown with the color. Uh, right. so I usually usually on there most throughout the day and most nights when I'm at home on my phone. Um, then also you can just go to takesomerisk.com, and we got like an email and a form if you want to like reach out and chat about like an advertising problem or a marketing problem you have, or maybe you have like a conversion rate problem on your website, and we can sort of chat it out and see if it's a good fit. And we don't. We probably don't take 80% of the people we talk to because we want to take on people who've got a, like a gnarly problem that's super interesting, people that are really nice and we want to work with. We don't want to work with assholes and people who are mean or people who just want to tell us how to do our job because right. <laughs> we've got like, I've got 12 years experience personally and I've done a lot of stuff and you're probably good at whatever it is you do, but there's a reason you hired us because you couldn't figure it out yourself or you hired another agency and they did a really bad job. Like half our clients come to us because they hired another agency who didn't do what they said they were going to do. Um, right. And then they come to us and we're a breath, of, a breath of fresh air. So, yeah, you just go to our website, takesomerisk.com, and we can chat and see if there's a way we can help you out. 
So um, if people want to find this episode and or any other episode, they need to go to, and you can help me out with this. So I don't know what's better to say because there's this thing. I've got a shortcut domain and I love yeah. saying it. It's triple V double That That's my favorite way to find my podcast. You, I say you should go with that. It's easier to remember probably. <laughs> or you can go to vroomvroomveer.com. But I like saying triple V double com. I mean, it's probably because I made it up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to listen to this podcast or any other podcast, go there. And thank you, Dwayne Brown, for hanging out with me and, uh, and having a cool chat. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Have a great day. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.